Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Still can't believe it. I can't believe this is Christmas week. Time has just it's evaporated, it seems like. But here we are, and this week we're going to celebrate Jesus. So let's keep that spirit alive. Happy birthday, Jesus. We began the service with some enduring melodies, uh, some that have lasted maybe a generation, some perhaps more than that, even longer. And it culminated with O Holy Night. O Holy Night, that, that blessed night that Jesus was born. That song's endured since 1847. About 173 years, if my math is right. But the holy night, the holy night. That first Christmas when the Christ child was born, that's endured for generations, thousands of years, millennia. And the plan, the plan for Christ, that's endured forever. That's endured since before creation. We've been talking about that all month. And using this scripture from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 14, that says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him the honor, the reverence, to be in awe of God and the things that he does has a plan and a purpose and they're forever. They endure. God's work endures. It lasts forever. But while we're here on earth, at times, we have to endure, right? We have to last. We have to tolerate through hard times and pain. And this month, leading to... Christmas Day, we've been contrasting these two types of endurance. And this morning, I want to ask you a question. What would you endure to worship Jesus? What have you endured to worship Jesus? This morning has been all about worshiping Jesus. We fall down, we lay our crown at the feet of Jesus, praising him forever. This has been the theme. What have we endured to worship Jesus? And I know that we can say worship is considered a lifestyle. Worship can be individual. It can be ongoing, and it should be an ongoing, continual state of honoring God, revering God, fearing God. And we can worship in our home. We can worship in our car. We can worship at school. We can worship at work, in our office. All of that's true. Worship by ourselves. Worship individually. But I'm referring to corporate worship. Being together, a group, with others. Praising God. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, Luke the author writes about the birth of Jesus. The very familiar passage of Scripture 
the angels appeared. An angel appeared to the shepherds. And we sung about angels this morning too. The angel appeared to the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night and they announced the Savior is born unto you, which is Christ the Lord. And then when that angel finished with the announcement, Luke wrote, suddenly a great company of heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. A great company. This is a large group praising God. And there is something about that. There's something about being with others, being in a group, worshiping, praising God. Many of the Psalms reflect that. They imply a gathering of worshipers. And for, for example, a uh, very familiar Psalm, Psalm 100, that says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. And this psalm has an image of the, the flock, the sheep. It's not one sheep. It's a, it's a flock of sheep. It's a group. And they, the sheep go through the, the gate into the, the sheep pen. And that's a picture of people. And so the, the image also then reflects people going into the courts of the temple with thanksgiving and praise, people filling the temple courts. What to what? To make a joyful noise, to shout unto the Lord. It, it says in other versions of the Bible, to shout, make a joyful noise, praise God, to give thanks and bless his holy name. And many of the Psalms, at the top of the Psalm, there's a notation. And the notation will say, for the choir master. Or, or it might say, for the choir director. Well, what's a choir all about? A choir is a group. Acquires a group that leads others, that leads others in, in worship and praise and adoration. In the New Testament, we're encouraged to, to not give up the meeting together. And that's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Don't forsake the assembling together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle Paul writes of the church coming together. And he writes about having an orderly time of worship. But he says, when you come together... Have a hymn, have a word, a word of revelation, instruction, do things orderly, but come together, be together. And yeah, we can worship on our own, absolutely, and we should, it's a good thing. But when we're together, whether it's singing, whether it's devotion, whether it's prayer, whether it's being instructed in the word of God, this is all part of corporate worship. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose for us being together, for being a body, united, worshiping God. And Paul says it's for strengthening and encouraging and comfort. And he says, for the building up of the church. So yeah, we can worship independently, absolutely. But we need this. We need corporate worship. We need to be together. We need the strengthening. I need the strengthening and the encouragement and the comfort. 
and the building up of the church. These are great, great benefits of what we call corporate worship, being together. And this morning, uh, I want to uh, share an account from some who endured much to worship. And again, have this question in your mind. What would you endure to be a part of it? What would you endure to be a part of coming together to worship? So this account is, it's, it's in Matthew's gospel. It's the only gospel that gives us this account. And it's Matthew chapter 2, a very familiar passage of scripture about some men who came from the east to worship Jesus. So let's read the account. It's Matthew uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. They read this way. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Messiah to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And this is a quote from the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Again, a familiar passage. We saw some of it depicted in our children's church video from the treehouse. The wise men making their way to Jesus. And it was after Jesus was born, we read here in the Gospel of Matthew, that these people from the east called Magi came to Jerusalem in search of the baby Jesus. So what are Magi? Matthew tells us that they were from the east. Their title, this title Magi, comes from the, the Greek, a Greek term that means uh, wise men, teachers. They were ancient astronomers. These Magi likely hailed from the area of Persia that was at one time called Babylon. So Babylon, this was an area where the Jews had been relocated after Judah had been conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar and many of the, the Jews were taken to Babylon. So what occurred? They imported their customs. 
And we know that they were allowed to set up homes. And when, when Judah was allowed to come back, when the people were allowed to come back to build, many of them stayed in Babylon. They chose to stay. They brought in their customs, their traditions, the scriptures too. And what did the scriptures contain? Well, some of these prophecies that looked forward to this coming king of the Jews. Messages like the prophecy recorded in the book of Numbers, which they would have had. This was the f- part of the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses wrote, this is called the books of the law, the Pentateuch. They would have had this. And Numbers twenty four seventeen says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, which is Israel. A scepter will rise out of Israel. So we've learned from the, just the first couple of verses of Matthew that these magi saw his star. They said his star rise. And that implies they understood that it wasn't just any star. It was his the one born king of the Jews. Evidently, they were studiers of the stars. They knew something. They knew something of stars, and they also knew something of a star. Perhaps this prophecy from Numbers. They knew something of an a star that would rise, and it would herald the coming of a king, the king of Israel. And not just any king, but a divine king. The prophecy of this rising star pictures a king It says a scepter will be in his hand. That's what a king holds to show his authority and his power. So it's certainly speaking of a king. And we know that the Old Testament prophecies weren't about just any old king. It was the divine king, Jesus. The great prophets that went to Babylon, Ezekiel, Daniel. These are two of the Old Testament prophets that were in Babylon. Daniel, he He was a a counsel to the kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, and then all the way to the Persian kings that came after him. He had a long, long ministry, Daniel did. Uh, Daniel, he called this coming king the anointed one. Ezekiel, in his prophecies, he was prophesying more to the people, but he pictured a heavenly throne. So it seems that these prophecies survived there for centuries in Persia. And then when the wise men saw this star rising, they interpreted it as the royal star, the star of Israel, the fulfillment of the word of God. And these magi from the east began their westward trek just to visit the newborn king. Well, not just to visit him, but to worship him. That was their expressed purpose, to find and to worship this new divine king of the Jews. That's what they said. They said when they arrived, we have come to worship him. So where did they go? They started out in Babylon in the east, and they come westward, and they made their way to Jerusalem, which makes total sense. It's the capital city. It's the capital city of the Jews. So that's where they headed. And they they may have traveled hundreds of miles. We don't know exactly where they started. If they started somewhere in that region of Babylon, Typically, they wouldn't travel just straight on through to Jerusalem. They'd have to go up to the north and around and down. And that could be upwards of uh, 800, 900, even over 1,000 miles. And they didn't have jet planes and trains or any of that. Uh, No internal combustion, no electricity. 
They had beasts of burden. So several months long, riding on animals, all this effort to worship Jesus. Now I'm sure these were people of some means. They probably had some helpers and servants. But yet, think about it. Even if you have servants, how many days do you want to ride on the back of a donkey or a camel? I mean, I think maybe a couple hours and I'm finished. Seriously, these guys were traveling for weeks, perhaps even months, through an arid climate, rough terrain on the backs of animals. That's no fun. They endured this terrain, the heat of the day, having to then deal with the cold of the night and this desert-type climates. Then there's the potential that marauders might come to steal their treasures. They had treasures. They came with gold and expensive frankincense and myrrh. You know, but they did this. They did this all to worship Jesus. And then when they arrived in Jerusalem, what happened? You're in the wrong place. They're in the wrong spot. But they came in and they weren't being quiet. They were making noise. Hey, where's this one born king of the Jews? They disturbed the whole city, Matthew tells us. The whole city was disturbed. So much so that word made it all the way to the king. King Herod, Herod the Great. And what does history tell us about Herod the Great? He was cruel. He was merciless. This guy was a tyrant. He was a, a murderous tyrant. Herod, or Herod to gain power. He, he had massacred his own people just to get the throne. And then to keep the throne, any threat against his throne, he took it seriously. He killed high priests. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his sons. He killed his very own wife. This guy was kind of paranoid. He was like a paranoid megalomaniac. And he calls these magi into his, uh, into his palace secretly. Hey, what do you guys want? What are you here for? Well, we want to see the king, but not you. Imagine that. Imagine how the megalomaniac king might have felt when they said that. No, no, we want to see the newborn king. Now, again, these were likely well-to-do men. They might have had some security with them. But hey, Herod was a friend of Rome. He had Roman legions, up to six of them, about 30,000 Roman soldiers. He could, have, he could have taken these guys and just made them non-existent if he had wanted to. But he had this other plan. He wanted to find out where the Christ child was, so he sent them to Bethlehem after hearing the prophecy of Micah, which says the Savior is going to be born in Bethlehem. He sends these wise men there, and he gives them instruction. They'll report back. Report back to me. Now, were these guys intimidated? They go before a king that his history is, his history is known. Were they afraid? Doesn't seem so. Did they turn around and hightail it out of there? No, they didn't go back home. No, off they went to Bethlehem. And then the, the star lit up. The star lit up again and, and led them right to the house, right above the house where Jesus was. And then what did they do? They bowed down to worship him and present their gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. Now, what might we be able to take from this? What might we be able to receive from this account? They were undaunted. Are we undaunted to worship? 
they were undaunted in their quest to be at the feet of Jesus, to be together and worship him. Months-long journey didn't stop them. Rough terrain, backs of animals. Nope, wasn't a problem. Getting to the wrong city, their GPS didn't work. Not a problem. They made noise. Hey, where is he? They were, they were vocal. We want to worship. Murderous, tyrannical, foreign king who could have eliminated them. That could be a little discouraging, even depressing. Could cause some to turn back and run. They didn't do it. No, onward they went in their pursuit to worship Jesus. What have we endured to worship Jesus? Now I know right now many people can't come out of their homes. And that's for a very good reason. So I am not in any way, shape, or form trying to suggest that anyone should. To, to take the risk of getting sick. That's not what I am saying this morning. I want to repeat that. I'm not. I'm not saying take the risk, come out, and, and join us. But I know this. Many are enduring the wait. They long to be back. They want to be back. They want to be together in worship. Worshiping at home is one thing, but worshiping together is something many are longing for. And I don't think a week passes by where I don't get uh, some kind of note in the mail, an email, a direct message that tells me that. So looking forward to being back together, praying this comes to an end. Yeah, they're making the best at home, absolutely. But it's not the same. And they're enduring through this. And we're enduring through all types of changes. And what the news tells us, these are unprecedented times. Unprecedented times. I've heard someone say, I don't ever want to hear the word unprecedented again. But are these really unprecedented times? Are they really? Not really. A hundred years ago, right here in, in the U.S. and across the globe, there was a pandemic they called the Spanish Influenza spread across the world, started sometime in the, the fall or perhaps the summer of uh, 1918, but really lit up in the fall of 1918. You know, World War I was winding down. There's a war going on, then this pandemic, which lasted for a year or so and came in three waves. 50 million people died, and that's they say, is a conservative number, maybe up to 100 million. Nearly 700,000 people died right here in the U.S., what did they do back then to combat the virus? Well, cities across uh, the United States closed schools. They closed theaters. They closed entertainment venues. And yes, they closed churches. And you know what else they did? Cities passed mandatory mask usage laws and ordinances in 1918. Same fights. There was the same fights. I thought these were unprecedented times, but the same fights 100 years ago about government overreach and I'm not wearing a mask and, oh, this is for public safety. No, it's not. All happened 100 years ago. I, I saw this. This is from uh, the California State Board of Health, special bulletin number 31, January 1919. In San Francisco, not only were public gatherings prohibited, but the use of the face mask was made compulsory. 
And I read some of the minutes from the San Francisco, uh, their, their directors, they have a name for their city leaders. But the minutes were very interesting and the fights that they had about passing the mask ordinance, but it passed and they recommended it should be for the whole state of California. So this state board of health from uh, 1919 in California goes on in Boston, public gatherings were prohibited after the epidemic was well on its way in Buffalo measures for closing were adopted and the use of the mask was advised in Washington. Public gatherings were prohibited before a dozen cases had appeared. The mask has been widely adopted in California, several cities passing ordinances requiring its universal use. Churches, schools, and theaters were closed in some communities. But no saloons were closed, except upon the order of the State Board of Health. All sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? So, is, is this unprecedented time? Churches closed, saloons open. Compulsory mask ordinances. We're not living in really unprecedented times. But reading these things, I wondered, how did the churches, how did the churches cope? And I found this magazine called the Pacific Unitarian. It was a magazine for Unitarian churches, of course. And this is from March of 1919. And it was a heading, Reports from the Churches. And it just gave various reports from cities across the U.S. and what the churches were doing and Here's one from Fresno, California. There's very little indeed to report from Fresno uh, for the month of February since owing to the influenza epidemic, public gatherings have been forbidden and all church services. No word has been received at the present time as to when we may expect to reopen. We are looking forward to that time, however, for the lack of spiritual contact is keenly felt. This was a pretty common report. No public worship, no assembly, no encouragement, Lack of spiritual contact was keenly felt. Was there any form of worship? We have this great advantage now of being able to stream live into people's homes through this great technology called the World Wide Web or, or the Internet. What did people do 100 years ago? I was really curious. And I, I liked finding this. This was from a, a different magazine. It's called The Congregationalist in Advance, a, it was a weekly news magazine for the congregational denomination. November 1918, how Toledo met the closing order. Toledo, just to ourself. All Toledo in prayer and worship in the homes. This was the headline. All Toledo in prayer and worship in the homes was the spirit of Toledo during the influenza epidemic. The churches were closed, to be sure, but worship was simply transfer, transferred from the larger to smaller groups. An outline worship form was provided for each church, Protestant, Lutheran, Catholic, and everything necessary for the home service, including hymns, special prayer, scripture reading references, and brief sermons were printed in the leading Toledo papers from Sunday to Sunday until the ban was lifted. I thought that was great. You know, in Toledo, the churches got together and they thought of a solution. Let's print it all up in the paper, print the sermons. The paper's even printed. I doubt they'd do that nowadays. But what a great solution because they wanted to worship. The people wanted to worship and they wanted some sense of unity and some sense of togetherness because it's important. And it's important to us too. I'm not sure when all this is going to be done, when the distancing is going to be done, when the masks are going to be taken off and then we can all come back together 
But until then, until then, let's have the heart and the passion of the Magi. Let's, let's consider their precedent for us. They didn't think anything about traveling hundreds of miles, enduring the backs of animals and dust and dirt and sleeping on rocks or whatever and traveling for weeks, even months, to worship Jesus. And they faced potential death, perhaps from marauders, maybe the crazy king, all to worship Jesus. When they arrived, wrong place. Where was the faith of the people? Where was the faith of the people who were supposed to be anticipating the Messiah? They were disturbed. Where was their faith? These Magi were Gentiles, non-Jews. Yet it seems they had more faith than the people who were supposed to be anticipating the coming Messiah. The ones that were supposed to be looking forward to the King of the Jews. They were in the capital city, Jerusalem. And yet it seemed no one was really anticipating the Messiah's coming. I came across this too as I was just perusing all this old material history. This is from 1860, a little further back. It's from a group called the Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge. A publication that was for, it was from a variety of preachers that said, In the preface, it said this. It is hoped that this will furnish subjects for godly meditation to such as from sickness or another cause may be barred from attending public worship. So this book, written in 1860, was specifically if you were stuck at home, you couldn't get to church. And as I said, it's just from a variety of people. So there was a section from someone called D. Moore. That's all I have. This person wrote this. There was in the worship of these wise men something of holy boldness, an utter regardlessness of human approval or human scorn, a determination to stand by their faith even though they stood alone. Their faith rose with discouragements. Accustomed to sit with princes, they hesitated not to kneel humbly at the feet of a peasant child. But they who had boldness enough not to be afraid of Herod have boldness enough not to be ashamed of Christ. And that's the precedent for us. What keeps us from worshiping together? What distracts us? What keeps us apart? And I know right now it's this pandemic and it's brought an interference and that's completely understandable. I get it. But sometimes we let life interfere. We let family, sports, entertainment, work, pursuing money, career goals, even the weather. Eh, I'm not not gathering to worship today. It's too cold. It's raining. Whatever whatever we might consider that just inconveniences us makes worship a lesser priority sometimes. And sometimes there are things that keep us apart like this time we're in right now that we've got to endure. Yet what we're enduring, it seems so much less than what these magi faced. 
these, these men that were said to have a holy boldness, a faith that doesn't wane. I mean, let this account of the Magi inspire you. Let it burn in your heart. Let it get deep down to inspire you to have a faith that doesn't wane, to have an endurance and a holy boldness, to have an insatiable desire, an insatiable desire to worship your Savior together, to never, ever, ever take it for granted, to always have this yearning in your heart and to make it a top priority so that you can be with others, so that you can be together, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, to enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, and in it to be strengthened and to strengthen others and to encourage others, to comfort others, to be comforted, to be encouraged, to build up the church. Let's have that holy boldness. Let's have that holy boldness to be worshipers, to be worshipers of the King of Kings who came to give us eternal life. God, Lord, I just pray all of us would be inspired to be worshipers, God. Whether we're staying at home, help us to make our time at home one where we focus on you. If we're alone, if it's two or three, to just kneel before you, honor you, make a joyful noise. If we can come together, we thank you for that privilege, God. We look forward to the time where we can all be in the house of the Lord together until then, God. Those who need help, comfort, encouragement to continue to stand fast, to endure, help them, God. Help them. Lord, give them encouragement. Give them strength. Lord, we need you. We need the encouragement, the strength, the comfort of the body of Christ. God, extend your grace and encourage and lift. And Lord, we look forward to what you're going to do. We thank you for your coming. We thank you for your giving us eternal life. God, help us to never, ever make it a low priority. And keep us, Lord, as those who would turn to you with thanksgiving and praise for granting us eternal life. Thank you, God. We look forward to that day when we can be in the house together. God, we pray, we pray, Lord, that you would shorten our time, that we have to wait. And we ask it, Father, as we look forward to celebrating the coming of Jesus, we ask it in his powerful and precious name, Jesus, 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 our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.